7.02. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 7.02 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. On the show today, another hostage drama at the Gold One Moda East Mine will bring you the latest from the mine. Nicole Fritz quits the Helen Sussman Foundation for Politics. She's joining Roger Jardine's new change party. Dan Marokane tipped for the ESCOM CEO position. Three arrested for a hit on a businessman in Santon and sports and good things. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. We are following lots of developing stories for you. Dan Marokane tipped for the ESCOM CEO position. What do you think about that? Uh, that really is a poison chalice if ever there was one. Who do you think is the right person for that position? And then breaking news this morning, Nicole Fritz has quit the Helen Sussman Foundation for Politics. Uh, you would have heard uh, her speaking in the Eyewitness News bulletins about why she's deciding to go into politics that new party launching on sunday or is it a party what is it exactly we'll try and understand that with tiri madir the associate politics editor but what do you think about how the politics landscape is looking in uh, south africa ahead of the elections next year Send me a WhatsApp voice note, 072-7021702-0725671567. But let's start with the other developing story we're watching, and that is at the Gold One Modern East Operation in Springs. It's been struck by trouble again, a second hostage drama gripping the mine there. Workers want the company to scrap the closed shop agreement with NUM. They want AMCU to be organiser at the mine. So there's a fresh dispute there. Close to 500 workers are reportedly being held hostage. Now, you remember this happened in October, right? Where there were different versions of the story. Is it a hostage drama? Uh, is it a sit-in? What exactly is going on? Well, Nokukanya Mtambo, EWN reporter, is there for us. Nokukanya, good afternoon to you. Tell us about uh, what the situation is at the mine. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yet again, we're back just outside the parameters of the Gold One Water East Mine where uh, the hostage situation is developing inside. Again, Mandy, we're uncertain about whether it's been classified uh, by police as a hostage drama or whether to sit in, similar to what had happened last time in October when we were here. Uh, the uh, in, in terms of police management, uh, there isn't just yet as much police visibility as there was the last time. There were a couple of vans that, had, that have been controlling uh, on the parameter. There are a couple inside as well, meeting with mine management and some of the unions, particularly the National Union of Mine Workers. AMCO still is not registered or recognized as a mine here. And so they, again, still have no say about the, uh, the, 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 the talks that can be inside, that, that are happening inside. Um, we understand that there are 500 those workers that are still underground and negotiations are still underway. We don't know what technical plan, tactical plan uh, has been just yet in terms of trying to get them um, from beneath the, the shaft. We also don't know if any of the unions are claiming responsibility for uh, putting together this plan. But they, it, from what we're hearing on the ground, it is possible that this is something that was discussed earlier this week for it to have happened again this week uh, or today. But we aren't quite sure yet who's going to claim mm. responsibility, whether AMCO or MUN as stands. Noko Kanye, what do we know about the condition of those who are underground? 
As far as we know, we had uh, Ziad Hassam, who's the uh, lawyer of Gold One, speaking to us just a few moments ago. Uh, they don't have any communication with those who are underground. We only know the info from the two that managed to escape much earlier today about what the conditions are. Uh, as far as we know, no one has been injured in this process, uh, and they will be keeping a, a close watch of it, just trying to someone inside. They, they haven't been able to do it so far, Mandy, uh, but no injuries reported so far. We don't know how long they will be able to sustain this. Um, there are usually emergency supplies underground, but whether or not they have access to that uh, is unclear at this moment. And so we'll know just as the day unfolds, um, you know, whether they're able to get someone inside or someone coming outside to give us an update about how the people underground are. And then you're also reporting that one of the mine's in-house investigators was gunned down near his home this week and he's believed to be a key part of the disciplinary process against the workers. Mm. What do we know about this? So again, the confirmation that it was an in-house investigator has come from the company. Uh, We also got police reports earlier in the week about him being gunned down on the very same road that we're on at the moment, just a couple of meters down from where I am now. Uh, but the suspicion from the, from the management itself is that it could be linked to the disgruntled workers now trying to fight back. But there's certainly no confirmation of that at the moment, Mandy. And so the mine also doesn't want to, you know, stoke that fire anymore. The investigations by police is still underway. Uh, and as it stands, we don't know who may have called a hit if it was indeed a hit. Uh, but as far as the mine management goes, that's what it points to at the moment. But we, we will know again, Mandy, once police investigations uh, have unfolded what the nature of that murder was. Nokukanya, thank you very much. Uh, Nokukanya Mtambo, who's at the mine for us uh, at the moment where that sit-in is happening, uh, bringing us an update from the Gold One Mine in Springs. Look, this is not a a tenable situation. It can't keep happening to have hundreds of workers either being held a hostage or a sit-in. Reports are indicating that this is is a hostage situation. So they need to sort out this disagreement between Num and Amku and how exactly it's going to work there at this mine. Because to, to to have hundreds of workers being sitting underground, whatever um, the reason or motive for it is, is just uh, it's not safe. It is dangerous. It creates all kinds of of problems. So we'll continue to update you uh, in EWN. Seven o two. Seven o two. Mandy Weiner. Weekdays, twelve to one p.m. The Helen Sussman Foundation has accepted the resignation of its executive director, Nicole Fritz. She's been at the Helen Sussman Foundation for two years. She is leaving to pursue a political role from the 1st of January 2024. That's what the statement says, a political role, uh, not saying what that role is. But Siri Madia, Associate Politics Editor, has been on the phone to Nicole Fritz. She's been reporting on developments around Roger Jardine's, I wouldn't say it's his organisation, but a new organisation that is due to launch on Sunday. Teddy, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. So Nicole Fritz confirming where she's off to then. Absolutely. Good afternoon, Mandy. Nicole Fritz saying that the opportunity is here, that the time is right for South Africans to get involved and try and change the trajectory in order to the work that she's done in civil society to bring that into the political space and try and get more South Africans on board to fight for a South Africa that they want. So absolutely another high uh, profile name, Mandy, that's making its way towards this particular grouping um, with Roger Jardine in the middle of it. 
So what exactly is this grouping going to be when it's launched on Sunday? Is it a political party? What is it? Does it have a name? Um, and how is it positioning itself? It is interesting because if you pay attention to reports, it almost sounds like the opposition were looking for a presidential candidate. That's why Roger Jardine's name has been doing the rounds. But when you look at what they've sent out, a very small media invite, Mandy, uh, a short media invite that speaks about how he's launching a movement and will share his early ideas on how he intends to be part of the solution to the national crisis faced by South Africa. They do have a name. They call themselves Change South Africa. Nicole Fritz mentioned Change South Africa today. Mark Haywood, another high profile name as far as the activism sector is concerned also speaking about change south africa so that's kind of what they want they are saying that it's early days that they will be speaking to a lot of parties i mean about a few months before the election so in terms of what it will look like that's still it's it's yet to unfold but it doesn't sound like they're trying to position themselves as a lever or as an extension to the multi-party charter it sounds like they're trying to envision something completely different they speak a lot about how the political offering in the country simply is not good enough as it stands so it's interesting you mentioned mark haywood who of course comes from civil society nicole fritz comes from civil society we know um how important civil society is in south africa that whenever there's a gap in leadership by politics at civil society that steps into the breach. So mm. is, is this entity almost a political arm of civil society? It almost feels like it when you're seeing the kind of leaders who are joining. But I think you kind of need to wait and see who else is there because I think what we're going to see, Mandy, is a mixture of people from business, from civil society, as we are seeing now, as well as in the political space. Mavusam Simang's resignation, though they deny that he's going to be linked to this party, I think there will be somewhat some participation. He has links, as I said to you yesterday, to Roger Jardine himself specifically. So I think we've got, we've got to wait and see who else is in the mix? But I do think civil society is tired of just speaking and taking action and is now trying to enter the fray, get into that electoral space, the party, um, the, the politics space of contestation, contestation, where it is about numbers. And if you think about it, Mandy, civil society is about building up mass. It's about mass mobilization. And when you go to an election, it is about numbers. So it is a crucial thing to not just have business people in the, in the room, but people who are able to mobilize society because ultimately, Again, you need voters to come on board. So I think it'll be interesting to see the kind of people who are there. But if they're trying to capture the imagination of people, you can't do it without civil society that has shown itself to being able to get people behind causes in the country. Tiri, thank you very much. Tiri Madia, the Associate Politics Editor, giving us some analysis on that. Nicole Fritz leaving the Helen Sussman Foundation. Uh, and it looks like uh, she's part of this change South Africa that's going to be launched on Sunday. It, it does seem from some reports that Roger Jardine could be positioned as the face or the, the political um, candidate, presidential candidate for the Moonshot Pact, the multi-party charter. What do you think about that? Are, are you concerned about his constituency or lack thereof? Does he appear Appeal. Um, does he have a wide appeal? Because he, he appeals to business, of course. He'd be very popular with business. But does he appeal to the majority of the electorate? What are your thoughts on this new player that looks set to launch on Sunday? 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Weiner. Let's walk the talk. So when it comes to a poison chalice and the job uh, least 
that the people would least want to do in this country. It goes without saying that that is the job of ESCOM CEO. That and I suppose ESCOM spokesperson, I always say the National Police Commissioner is probably a poison chalice. Uh, there's a long list in South Africa of jobs people don't want to do, but it looks like Dan Marokane is going to become the next ESCOM CEO. He used to be at ESCOM once upon a time um, and he left during the state capture years. The South African Forestry Company CEO currently uh, he does have a long list of qualifications. Oren Singh, EWN reporter, joining us to tell us about this. Uh, so where do we stand at the moment? Uh, there's a short list, right? There's a short list, Mandy, from what we understand. There's three possible candidates in the hat, their names, uh, a special uh, cabinet sitting today uh, to deliberate on those names and kind of uh, flesh out who's the best or possible suitable candidate candidate to take up this role. We know it is, it's a, it's a contentious and controversial um, a role within the country and within Eskom, um, having to sort of try and figure out how to get it back on track. If it was ever on track in the first place, for a couple of years, we haven't had Eskom on track. So, um, yeah, so uh, people we've been speaking to, sources within Eskom say that he has got favor within uh, the power utility itself, having held a position of group executive there for, I think, five years, 2010 to 2015. Uh, so he has experience within Eskom. He kind of knows what's going on. Um, hasn't been too much involved over the past couple of years, seven years or so. Um, but the fact that he's got experience within Eskom um, lends to him being more favorable. Uh, we don't know the other two candidates. They might well be um, better placed to take up this position as Eskom CEO. But from what we understand and from the people we've been chatting to, which includes executives at Eskom, um, Dan Marokane is, is, is a favorite. Yeah, and his name is familiar to people because he was amongst, years ago, there were four people who were pushed out of ESCOM in the Machila Coco years. He was one of the four, um, along with uh, Suzanne Daniels, if I remember correctly. So it's a familiar name because he has been there before. Um, but he's got the credentials, right? He does have the credentials and um, he's got quite, um, you know, quite an interesting a number of credentials. We know that Andre de Reuter himself was very qualified for the position, having 30 years of experience underneath his belt and, and um, you know, just a host of qualifications. But um, Mr. Morane Mr. Has, has, has enough qualifications to take on this job. Um, we're talking of Bachelor of Sciences and, and Masters of Sciences from esteemed universities, um, you know, in London as well as University of Cape Town. Um, so as far as things go in terms of qualifications, he has got the qualifications on paper to do the job. But as we know, Mandy, when it comes to Eskom, um, you know, qualifica qualifications can only take you so far. Um, and it comes back to, to Andre Dereta's book and the inverted commas political meddling that was going on within the state entity and whether that's going to play a factor in Mr. Morokane's you know, role that he, he takes on if he does take on this mm. role as Eskom CEO. Oren, thank you so much. Sure, what a job. What a job to agree agree to do. Uh, and this political interference is a big issue. Is that do you have somebody who's going to be pliable, somebody who's going to toe the political line, or do you have somebody who's got a backbone, who's going to stand up to uh, the shareholder and stand up to, to uh, the cabinet ministers? Uh, but at the same time, how can you possibly meet expectations of the government uh, and of the public in South Africa if you consider where ESCOM is right now. It really is a, a huge commitment, a huge undertaking, and who would want that job? What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702.
Good day, uh, Mandy, it's Norman and Pittori. I think that uh, the latest revelations in politics that uh, the businessman, uh, the, the business mogul, uh, Roger Dajin, is entering politics, I think it's a window dressing. It reminds me when the the co-point was launched, when uh, you remember when uh, the famous... Um, Pastor Bume uh, Dandala joined the the COPE. It's a similar thing, but it's also similar to uh, when uh, Dr. Mampela Rampela also joined the DA. So it's window dressing. It's not going to succeed. Thank you so much. This is such an interesting point you raised. So I spent a long time, a large part of my career was spent uh, following COPE at its at its origins. And I remember when Mvumi Dandala joined and there was a lot of excitement around it, but he didn't have a constituency. Um, and it turns out that between Mbazima Shiloa and Mosiwa Lakota, there wasn't sufficient uh, constituency, or maybe there was, and it was just the political infighting that cost them ultimately. But for, for a good um, like couple of years, I followed... Uh, Cope and I went on bus rides around rural Eastern Cape and we were in the free state for the launch and it was so exciting and there was so much possibility. But is it going to come down to this issue of constituency again? Does Roger Jardine have the constituency? Does he have the broad appeal? Is it a viable option for him to be the face of a political party? 702. 702. Mandy Weiner. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. In Parliament, the Home Affairs Committee being briefed by Parliament's legal services and the IEC on the implications of Monday's Concord judgment. This is all about the Electoral Act. So that's what's been happening in Parliament. There um, have been concerns raised by the Electoral Commission and MPs regarding Monday's Concord judgment. Let's find out about that with Lindsay Dentlinger. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What are some of these concerns? Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, a lot of them are operational and logistical that we might not have considered um, at the time uh, when the independent candidates were challenging um, this requirement that they had to obtain 15% um, of supporter signatures of the votes in a previous election. We now know that the Constitutional Court has reduced that to de facto already in the act of a thousand signatures. But this concern that the commissions had from the very start raised again today as to what that will mean for a ballot paper. And today we hear that the Electoral Commission says they now may be looking at a ballot booklet, Mandy, because we could have so a booklet, <laughs> yes, because we could have so many candidates. Um, making this threshold, this much lower threshold, that it will not be possible to fit all their names and faces on a single or even on two um, ballot papers. And so that raises then the concern about um, voter um, uh, uh, education um, and the confusion that that could cause uh, for voters. And then also the length of time it might take a I was about to, to ask you that question, Lindsay. Sorry, but like if, if no, you yes. have each citizen going into cast their ballot and they have a booklet to read in uh, the polling station, that is going to take a long time. Now, Mandy, it is every time we, we talk about one aspect, it then there has a knock-on effect on another aspect. Now, two things that that booklet might mean that we hear from the Electoral Commission today are something as simple as the boxes. These booklets fill up these boxes so much quicker. You will need more ballot boxes. You will need to transport more ballot boxes. That costs money. That costs a bigger logistical operation. But bigger than all of this, Mandy, that um, has been raised by one of the MPs and to which there isn't an answer right now, 
is that it could even give rise to more than one election day. Traditionally, according to the law, only one day is prescribed in the law for an election to take place. We are unlike other countries where we know we've seen this happen, where uh, elections take place over several days. And the law only at present prescribes for a single day. So there are so many things that will need to be thought about because um, it will also impact how quickly we can get out an election result. Traditionally, that happens within three days. The law does make it possible to only release a result um, up to seven days, as I understand it, Mm. Mandy. But these are all the kinds of ramifications that might come from a ballot paper now becoming a ballot booklet and an unknown number of candidates that can now appear on the ballot paper and, of course, as you pointed out, cause confusion for a voter, which ultimately the Commission says is their concern. It's not about stifling people's right to participate in an election. As a matter of interest, and they may not have discussed this today, so forgive me if they have not, but is there any consideration to uh, making the, uh, the the ballots digital uh, like we have seen, electronic, uh, in in other, other countries? Or is there a general sense of distrust from the electorate around that? Mandy, we know that this is something that's been, that gets discussed from time to time. There have been um, tours, study tours done, investing research done about electronic voting, as we know that happens uh, in more developed democracies around the world. It was something raised by one of the, I think it was the ANC MP, um, Pele, who did raise whether this now again puts that kind of um, uh, consideration back on the electoral agenda. But of course, Mandy, that's not something that can happen overnight. But certainly it was a point. You're not the only person to think about whether then it might at, at some point become time to have a look um, at at that. But Mandy, another um, that I just quickly want to point out, all our focus has been on independent candidates. But today's um, court judgments, less so paid attention to what mean for un- um, that are currently not representative, represented in uh, the National Assembly parties that are still forming themselves, that are still planning to register. Yeah. The election expecting possibly there have been indications that they might change what mandatory rulings mean for them okay. because the Electoral Commission has pointed out the disparity um, that they are going to be unfairly penalised in that an independent candidate now only requires a thousand signatures, but an unregistered party requires two sets of criteria. Not only do they still have to uh, acquire the 15% of signatures that was previously uh, in the law uh, okay. to, uh, applicable to independent candidates, they also um, have to um, you know, meet a threshold now to register their party and pay the money and get the thousand signatures. Uh, for every reason that they want to contest. So there's a lot still riding on being able to sort uh, all these legal issues out, Mandy, before next year's election. Lindsay, thank you so much. Uh, Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter. A ballot book instead of a ballot paper. The implications of that are enormous, as Lindsay has explained. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Yes, I heard this thing with the guys being held underground by whatever other faction it is now but surely if there's multiple people being held against their will underground the police should be there instantly to try and sort something out i mean it's not 
I don't understand why there would be such a struggle to get the people out. I mean, you can't hold people hostage. Hi, good day, Mandy. Regarding ESCOM, I think the introduction of the electricity minister will pose lots of challenges for ESCOM's board of directors, especially when it comes to corporate governance. The question, Mandy, is will Praveen remain the shareholders representative for ESCOM? If yes, then it would mean that the electricity minister Joseph, a project manager or a COO of ESCOM or just another an executive employee for ESCOM. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. So this is the question, right? You effectively have four cabinet ministers responsible for the electricity situation in the country. And that's why it's uh, often so confusing around who represents the shareholder and what the role of the electricity minister actually is. Is it a PR exercise to go and collect generators when they're given to us? Or is it actually like a functionary? And I think that is the question. I think it will make the CEO's job even harder. On that hostage situation, remember Marikana. That's why the police are not going in there because they don't want that kind of situation. We had it the last time around that uh, in October when there was a hostage situation and we asked the police because they held off for days. Why don't they just go in? And they cannot go in because it'll be a showdown. There will be bloodshed. And I think that if anything, they've learned a lesson from that. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. So you may have seen reports yesterday about the fact that there was a, an assassination, a hit in Santon on a businessman, a shooting taking place there. Um, you may have seen some of the photographs of uh, of that shooting scene. Well, the police saying today that three people have been arrested for that shooting. Um, the trio was arrested last night, hours after the attack on the man's home on Coleraine Drive in Morningside. Have a listen to the police's Colonel Dimakato Nevojo. Following the shooting incident at Coloring Drive on the 7th of December 2023, a team of detectives led by the Provincial Serious and Violent Crimes Unit was activated to work on the case. On the evening of the same day of the incident, the team with the assistance of private security companies followed up on information which led to the three suspects who were found driving the same vehicle that was used during the shooting. One of the suspects had a firearm which would be subjected to ballistic testing. All three suspects are expected to appear before court soon on charges of murder since the victim succumbed to his injuries at the hospital. Police investigations continue. So that's the police giving us an update on those three people arrested for that shooting uh, yesterday that uh, looks like a hit, very much looks like a hit on a businessman in Morningside. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. We're expecting a decision on the bail application in the Palapala burglary matter that is underway at the Bella Magistrate Court in Limpopo. Accused number one in that burglary matter, Emanuela David, has given oral evidence during his bail application uh, explaining why he believes that he should be granted bail. Closing uh, final arguments are underway at the moment. Tabiso Koba, EWN reporter, following that one for us. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Tell us what's happening there. 
Good afternoon, Mandy. As you just said, it is now the final arguments um, in the bail application of accused number one in this uh, Palapala burglary, uh, Emanuela David. Uh, you'll know, Mandy, that last month the two other accused were released on bail. So he's now just the only person who is uh, who's still uh, behind bars um, for this matter. Um, Mandy, so yesterday the investigating officer, um, Ludi Schnell, in this case, you know, he um, testified and made, you know, very explosive allegations about how um, David allegedly spent, you know, the 580,000 US dollars cash he stole from Ramaphosa's farm on cars, on his girlfriend, on his families, and um, on whole other, whole, a lot of other stuff. Um, so today, um, the, the, the Mike Mohobu, David's lawyer, basically pushing back on some of the of the claims that um, the investigating officer made yesterday, saying that, you know, in all that the investigating officer said, you know, there is no evidence that um, if David is released on bail, he would interfere with the witnesses. Um, the lawyer saying that um, David has previous convictions. He was uh, convicted for drunk driving and was once detained in Namibia uh, for six months for entering the country illegally. He said, and during, during those uh, convictions, David adhered to all, um, you know, protocols and to all bail conditions. So um, just last Thursday, Mandy, that um, David does have four children that um, he is the uh, primary caregiver for. And if he is uh, kept in jail for a prolonged uh, period of time, those children obviously lose the primary caregiver and obviously will um, be in desperate need of money. So those are just some of the arguments that David's lawyer, Mike Mohobu, has made here in court. And to be, so when do we expect a decision then? Um, Mandy, when, when it was postponed um, yesterday, um, the magistrate, Pradesh Nipunan, says that decision will be made um, today. I don't know if that is still the case. However, as I said, that was the case yesterday when we, we, we adjourned. Um, hopefully, we will get, obviously, a decision. Um, the, the prosecutor will speak next. He will make his final arguments, and then we'll hear from the magistrates when she'll be ready to make a decision on the bail bid of uh, David Emanuela. To be so, thank you very much, uh, to be so go by EWN reporter bringing us the latest, the uh, final arguments uh, underway in that bail application by Emanuela Davids, who's one of the accused in the Palapala burglary matter. Uh, listen, it's a hell of a chutzpah to steal the president's money, even if it is cash in the couch, um, and then to go spend it on fancy cars and then apply for bail. Um, but he's uh, arguing that he should be released on bail because he's the primary caregiver and he has four children to look after. So uh, we are awaiting a judge. Judgment in that matter. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. So we've been experiencing some pretty hot weather in Gauteng uh, over the past uh, little while. Things have cooled down and now it looks like we're going to get some rain. Elizabeth uh, uh, from Forecaster from the SA Weather Service joining us now. Elizabeth, good afternoon to you. Um, what's the expectation uh, when it comes to weather? Good afternoon, Mandy, and thank you so much for me on your show. So, yes, you're right. Said we've had quite a lot of heat lately. A few heat waves have experienced nothing. And this hot weather continued. Even though we haven't met heat wave criteria, the last few days are still rather hot. Johannesburg today, we are expecting a high of around 28 degrees. And tomorrow, also still going to be warm. However, we do expect things to change from tomorrow evening where the rain will start to come in. So some showers start already tomorrow. These continue from 
rock of the day on Sunday as well as Monday. Could even have some flooding in place because we're looking at quite a lot of rainfall, especially Sunday and Monday. This is on Sunday. This is the good news, reason. We're looking at almost a degree drop, Mandy. So very good news. We're going from 28 on Saturday to a high of only 9 degrees on Sunday. So it's going to be and cool for us with a rain around. So that is good news. So on Monday, though, with that rain continuing and it's the start of a new week, we do need to warn motorists to please take care on the roads as they do travel. Down in the Cape, quite a different scenario is expected there. A minimum of 18 this morning, reaching only a high of 22 degrees. And we are expecting some showers today as well as tomorrow. By Sunday, it does start to clear up with temperatures warming there nicely. A low of 15 with a high of 25 on Sunday and Monday 16 at 24 with no rainfall expected. Elizabeth, as always, thank you so much. Elizabeth Fulluden, SA Weather Service forecaster, speaking to us there, giving us an update, um, some uh, reporting on what we can expect when it comes to weather over the next few days. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. If you look at some of the issues that are going to dominate uh, political debates leading up to the elections, we don't even know Roger Jardine, where does he stand on the uh, immigration issues, ESCOM issues, how to improve the economy, BEE, and other racial issues. So how how is he going to win when we don't even know his standpoint on these things? Whatever they're trying, they'll never succeed. Sabang from Pretoria. Hey, thanks, Sabang. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Sabang, around uh, what are the policies going to be? What is his personal position? Um, And I think the fact that we've got civil society people now going to uh, this entity, people uh, like Nicole Fritz, um, uh, for example, people on the WhatsApp line already saying, well, that makes clear the position on illegal foreigners, as an example, because of the legal action taken by the Helen Sussman Foundation. That doesn't necessarily mean that Change South Africa will have the same um, position. Sipo on the WhatsApp line, says, Mandy, we own apology to Gwede as he was attacked for saying this foundation and NPR are not innocent and they have a political agenda to attack the ANC. Uh, so this is going to just feed this this clearly, the fact that, uh, that, that, that the NPOs and civil society has got a political agenda. Kumalo saying Nicole Fritz joining a political party. I already know what interest she will be lobbying for, illegal immigrants, example. Um, so, look, I think that's going to feed this this perception um, and the narrative. But I think we need to wait and see what this political party is going to be. And also, it's going to, um, they're going to have to tell us what their policies are and what they stand for. Wouldn't it be great if we had debates if we had our candidates debating each other like the Republicans have just been doing in the US. So they really challenge each other and we can get a clear picture of what their positions are. Sports Wrap. Sports Wrap. On 702 and Cape Talk. Anthony Tshader in studio to give us uh, an overview of what we can expect from sport this weekend. The Springbok Sevens underway in Cape Town uh, this weekend. So for our Cape Talk listeners, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, good afternoon, Manny. Honestly, it's probably my favorite events in, ty- in terms of the entire sporting calendar of the year because uh, it just looks like so much fun. Oh, I've been a couple of times. It's yeah. so much fun to watch. Uh, every single year I say I'm going to go, I'm going to go and then uh, no, never pull up. But it is going to be pretty spectacular, um, expecting a sold-out crowd. And um, the South Africans have started exceptionally well. I mean, last time out in Dubai, they were basically unplayable for pretty much every single encounter they were in. Um, I think 
Magdeburg. Last year's finish of seventh in terms of the standings is something that they want to leave behind them. They're transforming this team into absolute killers on the field. And I think there's that extra incentive. I th- the last time they won was 2015-16 at home. So there's that extra incentive of going out there and potentially claiming the title and going back-to-back in terms of tour victories, which, I don't know, it's an exciting prospect. Um, and the other side of the coin is that the South African women, although they lost all three of their pool games in Dubai, they were pretty spectacular, the seven side. Um, it, it was narrow losses the whole way through, and uh, it's going to be an even tougher ask because I think you're looking at France, you're looking at the United States and also Canada in their, in their pool. And those are all strong sides who have the pedigree and have really had the historical run inside in terms of the sevens mm. that it now gives them a chance to go out there and build on last week's performance the proteas women uh, the final t20 this evening against uh, bangladesh yeah uh, look i think it's a lot closer than a lot of us expected um you look at the the, the standings in south africa the top three bangladesh just inside the top 10 and and you would be thinking that South Africa would be running away with it. It really hasn't been the case. And I think it Mm. it really means that the uh, cricketing world has a lot of teams that on their day can go out and win. And so having lost the first one and that rain in the second one really is a blessing in some ways because it means that now South Africa either lose the series or they go out there and secure a draw, which won't be what they wanted when it all started. Um, but it is an opportunity to go out there and build with youngsters in your in your team. It's it's a chance for you to play a Bangladesh side who most of the time don't play well. The way that I compare them is I compare them to the Pakistan men's side. Hmm. On their day, they can yep. take you the whole way. On other days, you're done in, inside an hour. It's all finished. <laughs> <laughs> that will start at 6 p.m. this evening. Okay. And then uh, CAF Champions League uh, this weekend, Mamelodi Sundowns. Yeah. So last time out, I think pretty much all of us were surprised that they did give up points. Um, but they still remain top of their, their group. And uh, after yesterday, getting that nomination for, you know, Club of the Year, both in the men's and the women's uh, CAF Awards, we'll have to wait and see if they can bounce back in terms of the continent. Playing the pyramids, very tough side from Egypt. Um, they are one of those sides that absolutely can finish you in a matter of seconds um, very much a counter-attacking in the way that they built and so it is going to be uh, you know two different ideas facing off on the field which makes it, makes it an exciting game as they meet on Sunday and in England football this weekend um, the big one for me and simply a big one because it's Aston Villa and I'm a supporter Villa Arsenal top three clash exciting times that's happening tomorrow evening um but the one to look forward to is united against luton now the reason i'm saying that is because uh um no i believe it's sorry sorry city against uh, luton yeah and they'll be playing at luton so this is a city side that have struggled over the last three weeks and now have an opportunity to go and play some brilliant football in a very small and crowded pitch it is just so cute it's like in the middle of the village you've got uh, you've got yeah. this field it's crazy <laughs> when you see like holland going to yeah Newton. i think it also shows the way that the sport over the last 30 years has expanded and grown and, and to just see this this stadium out of a specific era so uh, i'm really worried about the way city can play there um, because it's not the type of crowd that you're going to be used to it's a very bruised city side at the moment and this is also a Luton 
despite the fact that they're sitting in the relegation zone, they've played some wonderful football at home. It's sort of like the stars of yesteryear are having a second wind there. And so, so I romantic. can't help. Exactly. So romantic. <laughs> Anthony Tashada. So that's what you need to look out for. Lots of sport to watch this weekend. Good things. Good things. With Brent Lindeke. And wrapping up our week as always, Brent Lindeke, the good things guy. Happy Friday, Brenty. Happy Friday, man, and happy Friday to all of the listeners, both the 702 and Cape Talk. So, a guardian angel has given a million rand to make life-changing heart surgeries possible. Tell us about this. This is such a beautiful Christmas story. So, three children with congenital heart disease received a life-changing surgery at the Lenmed Etiquini Hospital and Heart Centre in Durban. But it wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the Angel Network in Durban, the hard-working medical teams, the hospital's non-profit, and then this anonymous donor who recently contacted the Angel Network, and um, they, they literally gave a donation of one million rand. Uh, the one condition well, of that donation of one million rand was that the generosity uh, of that money needed to be used for surgeries that would change or save the lives of children in South Africa. And let me tell you, these three little kids who have had the surgeries, they were all successful. It's a triple, triple, triple miracle. Um, and the outlook of their futures is, is healthy and a fulfilled one. And definitely their lives have been changed. So Christmas miracles all around. And then 50 bystanders formed a, a human chain to save a man from drowning in Port Edward. Tell us about that. I, tell, I say this all the time, man. I say in times of tragedy, we need to look for the helpers, and that's exactly what happened here. So that, it was at Glenmore Beach. It happened last week. A 20-year-old man got swept out of the water. Uh, three young uh, South Africans jumped into action. Uh, we know of those pink boys, those flotation devices on our beaches and dams around South Africa. They grabbed the pink boys, they jumped into the water to go help this 20-year-old who was drowning, and while they were busy getting him and swimming back to shore, 50 bystanders, teenagers, teenagers adults, just South Africans collectively coming together, created a human chain from the beach into the sea to help get this, uh, the swimmer and these three young South Africans back to the shore. Um, he's made a full recovery, so also another beautiful Christmas miracle there, festive season, and uh, people coming together to do good. Oh, that's, uh, that's incredible, the way that people that just come together. Um, and listen, this last story uh, had, me, had me in stitches because I can totally see how it could be possible, right? So this 11-year-old boy almost bought a Rolls-Royce ghost. Tell us how this happened. I, I, it's an absolutely crazy story. So he got hold of Daytona via WhatsApp and he started speaking to a sales agent there. He sort of started requesting this expensive, crazy expensive Rolls-Royce Phantom. It's a billionaire's edition. He asked if they had any in stock and they started this conversation to have a sale of this mega, mega expensive car. Luckily, the father got hold of the kid's phone, saw what was going on, got hold of the, the sales team at uh, Daytona explained that uh, apologies, this isn't a sale. It's my son. He's 11 years old. I'm not sure how this happened. And the Daytona team just took it in their stride and they said to him, actually, bring him down. We're going to let him take a drive in the Rolls-Royce Phantom. We're also going to show him around the showroom and just spend a day with him. He's in love with cars. He likes expensive cars. This could be perhaps 
his way of making his dreams come true one day. So they just showed him a really good time, and I think it's a really sweet story to end uh, the week on. That's so cool. It's such a nice thing for, for them to do. So kudos to them. Uh, Brent, it feels like we're dragging ourselves to the end of the year. I think yeah, everyone, every conversation I have with everyone is like, oh, we're almost there, dragging myself to the end of the year. It's in sight, though. It's nearly there. It's in sight. It's nearly there. Um, I know for a lot of businesses, they're shutting down next week. Um, we just got a little bit of time to go before we get into those December vibes, although some of us are already in the vibes. Um, hold on. Be kind to each other. Uh, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough couple of years. And I just think um, when we lead with kindness, we make our journey uh, just more more easier for everybody around us. Brent Vendekou, the good thing is guy. Happy Friday, Brent. Happy Friday. And as always, I say, wishing everyone only good things. Only good things. Brent Lindekew, the good things guy.